Bible, a Biblicist podcast. Thank you guys for joining us for another episode of Live the Bible. Uh, today I have uh, Larry Hoffel with us, and we're going to talk about baptism. Because there's no debate or conversation about None. any aspect None. of baptism. <laughs> All agree. <laughs> um, so for clarity in our conversation, um, how would you define baptism? And I like how you put how you would define baptism because <laughs> people define it very different. Yes. <laughs> yeah. When I'm defining baptism, uh, I think for today's conversation, we'd be talking about believer's baptism. That's someone who's already been regenerated. They've trusted Christ as their Savior. And so they are immersed underwater to represent their death to the old life in Christ and then raised again to walk in newness of life with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Awesome. That's a very straightforward definition there. I hope so. <laughs> Well, to balance that out, obviously there's some people that believe baptism is something different or more than what you defined it as. Yes. Um, And so, once again, for clarity, how would you define the belief of baptismal regeneration? Well, I would actually like to break this down in a few ways because some people get accused of believing in baptismal regeneration and they don't. Um, You've got like the ex operato, the Catholics believe, for example, uh, which essentially means the... uh, working of the work so they think that baptism is kind of like a magic trick where the act itself imparts grace or infuses grace into the life of someone though mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily secure their salvation uh, you've got the reform position and sometimes like specifically presbyterians um, they'll believe that children should be baptism as a sign of salvation but it's because of their belief in election they don't necessarily know who would be elected and who wouldn't be elect and so they will seal something that might not actually be in place, but you know, just to be in case because they want to be uh, what they would consider to be consistent with the uh, Old Testament, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, and then you've got baptism regeneration, which is believed by some people um, in the Church of Christ, um, also some Lutherans as well, too, depending on the Lutheran you talk to. And that would be more specifically, they believe that you actually have to be in the baptismal waters to be generated, regenerated. So essentially, you're mm. born again by being baptized. Mm. Yeah. You and I don't believe in baptism regeneration. No. Right? Um, right? Because <laughs> we believe that's not biblical. I'm shaky on that, but... Yeah. <laughs> but if it's not biblical, why are there passages that seem to kind of imply baptismal regeneration or passages that are used to teach that? Yeah, I think to clear that up, we really need to discuss what justification by faith is. And so I want to yeah. go over a few different Bible verses. To see biblically, uh, even from the Old Testament into the New Testament, how people were saved, and we'll see that's always been by faith. So, uh, Romans chapter verse nine, uh, chapter nine, verses six through eight says, "Not as through the word of God hath taken no effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac thy seed shall be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh; these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed." I want you to focus on the children of the promise. And Galatians chapter 4, verses 27 through 29. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travelest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. And to clarify here, uh, I'm not saying the uh, the church of Israel is goofy, not getting into any of that, but... Um, there is a sense we are the children of promise and that we've trusted Christ as our Savior. And we will see um, a pattern that Abraham actually established, what it means to be a child of promise. Romans chapter 4, verse 9 says, 
cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we see that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. And this next part's really important. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Hmm. Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. For he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, that this, this is the children of promise, those that believe like Abraham did, prior to the sign even being given, he was justified by his faith, and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had yet being uncircumcised. And I think that's really key when we see that hmm. we do believe that people were saved by faith in both the Old and New Testament. And it right. it's clearly states in these passages, those who are the children of Abraham, the, the children of promise, they're following the example that Abraham had. And he was justified simply by faith even before he was circumcised, even before you know the Mosaic law was even established, hmm. he was justified simply by believing. Now, of course, we believe that genuine faith produces works, not that salvation is brought about by works. And so he did have that seal of circumcision. He still followed that faith. We see that as well in James, where we see that you know faith without works is dead. And so, again, Abraham is brought up how he's willing to even sacrifice his own son right. because he had that genuine faith. But then we see, and we do see patterns of this as well, too, um, after, um, you might say, the Gospels in the book of Acts, early church history. Mm -hmm. um, Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48, be a big one. And while Peter was yet, or while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them, which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. I don't have to go too much further than that. Yeah. It makes it pretty clear. I mean, these guys... Okay, a couple things. One, they never said that even the sinner's prayer. <laughs> the gospel was preached to them. They believed in their heart, which is why Romans says it's with the heart that man believes unto righteousness. So they heard the word being preached, and then as the word was preached and they believed it, the Holy Spirit came into them. They were regenerated by that righteous faith that they had, the faith that made them righteous. And I really like this story gets kind of retold by Peter when he goes back to Jerusalem and he's talking about his encounter with the Gentiles. He even makes a distinguishment between the baptism of water and the baptism of the Spirit. And uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 15 and 18 says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed, indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Mm. It's interesting. For as much then as God gave them a like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that what was I, that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. And so we can see Abraham, the father of the children of promise, which are all those who believe, right. and we follow in this, this same pattern of Abraham, someone who was justified before he did anything else. He simply believed and he was counted righteous. Um, and to take a little bit further, too, I think getting into the context of early church history, what salvation looked like for early believers is also key, too. We've been brought up in a world where people do say the sinner's prayer. I'm not saying that's wrong. Um, the issue is, is sometimes people will put their faith in their prayer as opposed to putting their faith in Jesus Christ. But uh, we were talking earlier, and I said how I knew a guy who was actually saved in prison simply by writing a letter to God. And it wasn't writing a letter that saved him, but he had that faith saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. 
I'm putting my faith in you. I surrender to you. Mm-hmm. You know, be my Lord and Savior. So he was justified in his heart even before he started writing. Right. As soon as in his heart he made that decision, the justification um, was already there too. And so for early believers, when they were getting saved, they weren't coming down to the altar. Right. They weren't, okay, they, you don't know how to say this prayer, you know, repeat after me and I'll help you say the sinner's prayer. Right. What you would have was people preaching the gospel and they would say, repent and believe. And then they would. And then they were justified. And so you would see this combined together too. Now, now be baptized. And it's super, it's super important. It's important for us today as well too because going back to Abraham, Abraham had true saving faith, which led to the sign of circumcision. He was willing to move forward to because he had a faith that produced a work. And then he, later on, he was willing to sacrifice his own son because he had a faith that produced works. And so while salvation isn't required, or I would say baptism isn't required for salvation, I would be very hesitant to be certain or have much confidence in someone who said that they were a true believer, but then denied baptism. It'd be kind of like saying, you know, Jesus, I trust in you. The Holy Spirit's working on you. You feel convicted of your sin. You understand that you're a rebel against God. You turn from that rebellion. You surrender in faith to Jesus Christ. And then you say, God, I'm not going to follow the first thing you want me to do. <laughs> that is just, that doesn't sit well with me. I would question someone's salvation. It's kind of like, I think it's Luke chapter 6, when Jesus says, you know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things I tell you to do? And that's kind of where it's at, too. So, no, I mean, we clearly see examples of people being saved without baptism, but I do believe that same grace that saves you will also bring about the fruit of repentance, which should lead someone to follow in baptism. So I think with that as a background, I think that'll help us as we get into some of these trouble verses. Cool. That's good. No, thanks for laying, laying out that, um, uh, going through the Bible, looking at that uh, history, looking at how things were viewed and, and all that. I think it's really important for laying the groundwork. But for total transparency on I say, let's just go ahead and dive into some of the verses that are traditionally taught or used yeah. uh, or even seem to imply baptism and regeneration. Because uh, I don't want to just like, oh, yeah, sure, sounds good, Larry. And I'm just going <laughs> to skip over these verses that are used. Um, so let me give you some examples, and I'd like to hear your uh, response or commentary on each one of these. Um, the first one is Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And it says, Not by works of righteousness, righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace we should be made heirs according to the hope of of eternal life. Washing of regeneration, isn't that a reference to water well, baptism? First of all, I'd like to say I thought the foundation that I laid was enough to uh, settle 1,800 years of dispute, <laughs> so I don't appreciate that. Um, <laughs> Titus 3, 5, uh, I think that one's actually a really easy answer. Uh, simply, nowhere does this washing of regeneration have any connection to baptism in this passage at all. Hmm. Um, it's the washing of regeneration when someone's regenerated, hence they are cleansed of their sins and their old nature. I think that's probably the, the easiest and most straightforward way to interpret it. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, and do you think it's true that oftentimes when baptismal regeneration is taught, that sometimes verses like this will be coupled with it? Yes. So baptism's already kind of been rung in the ear, and now we're going to yeah. like try and merge these verses together? When you have like your own traditions um, that you've been taught, yeah. um, you can form your own, I guess, uh, framework of eisegetics. Yeah. 
where you hear water, you read water in the Bible, and all of a sudden it becomes baptism and has absolutely nothing right. to do with it, yeah. And not in regards to this, but I want to be honest, I've been guilty of that oh, yeah, in I think my life. Of <laughs> like, yeah, sure. oh, yeah, I'm just going to apply these verses to that How too, and it's ones, like yeah. clearly not... Context doesn't matter. <laughs> so... I apologize. <laughs> um, okay, how about this one? Um, John chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, Jesus is talking with, uh, with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So like, Water, so baptism, yeah. and spirit regeneration, right? <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely what it's... Now, um, <laughs> again, um, just like Titus 3.5, uh, there's no mention of baptism in this mm. passage. And even the context, this one is even more clear. He's talking about the idea of being born again. And Nicodemus' question kind of lays down that framework. What do you mean? I, I got to basically go back inside and then come <laughs> out again? And then Jesus makes it clear, you know, born of the water, so you're born the first time, and then you're born spiritually, you must be born again. And then he, if you continue down that passage too, we all know John three sixteen, and what is that grounds for salvation? It's whosoever believes. Hmm. That's really good. And we have straightforward as well. Um, how about the end of the Gospel of Mark? So Mark 16, yeah. um, verse 15, 16 says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized mm -hmm. shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. If it was really a parallelism that we were seeing there, um, I would have assumed Mark would have also written that uh, those who didn't believe and weren't baptized, mm. but the grounds he talks for condemnation is simply not believing. Mm. So I can't just use the first half of that? No, unfortunately, <laughs> when we read passages, it's important that we read the verses around them. And granted, we can all be guilty of that, but yeah. It's... Um, and how about 1 Peter chapter 3, um, verse 18? Because we, we got water and, and, and all kinds of wonderful things going on here. Um, for Christ also had once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might... Bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure wherein to even baptism. So now we got water referenced and baptism, right? Yep, yep. Did also now save us. Not putting the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think gotcha. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> the real pivotal point on there is that in like figure <laughs> as you transition. Because um, if you're understanding that correctly, we know it, it wasn't the water that saved the people in the flood. Um, that's what killed them. <laughs> it was entering into the ark. And so we have a picture of salvation, and just like that is a picture of salvation, so is our baptism. It mm -hmm. pictures the death, burial, and resurrection. In fact, uh, Peter even helps us out to make sure we make this transition correctly. He says it's not, basically, it's not removing the filth of the flesh. Essentially, it's not the water that washes us, but it's the appeal of a good conscience to God because mm -hmm. of the resurrection of the dead. Mm -hmm. So not the water baptism that saves us, but it's that appeal, that faith we had in that resurrection. 
So I'm going to go into probably the most used verses yeah. to promote baptismal regeneration, um, where it's like, hey, these verses settle it. You know, for some people, like here it is. Um, Acts chapter two, verse thirty-eight says, "Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost." This is where we have to be careful not to take verses in isolation. And yes, this is a disputed verse, and I think we'd be lying if we looked at it just firsthand and like, oh, this is super easy right. uh, to interpret. Uh, a couple things to consider. We've already established what justification by faith really is. And also, after we get past this passage, there's a couple other accounts where Peter's preaching the gospel, and he just kind of neglects talking about baptism. So if this is so essential to the gospel, did Peter just forget as he's presenting? Hey, guys, just, just repent and believe. Oh, man, I messed up. I forgot to tell them about baptism. Uh, there's a, actually a couple responses to this. Um, a lot of it goes back actually into the language. Um, I think one is better than the other. It all goes down to that word for. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, in the Greek word, is ice. Um, some people will claim that that could mean um, the word before. Or so you were, uh, the reason you were getting baptized or because of. You're baptized because of the remission of sins. So they say ice could possibly be that. Um, I, I found another one that I feel to be a bit more convincing because um, I haven't been in Greek for a while, but ice isn't typically translated as because. I think it might be a little bit of a stretch. Um, something it is used quite a bit for, though, is the word into. First uh, Corinthians, I think it's chapter uh, yeah, 10, verse 2, it talks about being baptized into Moses. Uh, it's not referring to water baptism. It's actually referring to uh, identification, mm-hmm. how they were identified with Moses, so the other possible solution to this, and I think perhaps more of a realistic one, is that isn't talking about um, being baptized because of the remission of sins, but rather baptizing, identifying with the remission of sins. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. I, once again, like, this is a very um, a tricky passage for, for many. Uh, this is one of the many verses that, as when I was a young Bible college student, one of the many reasons why I avoided the book of Acts, because it was yeah. like, Oh, man, there's stuff in there, and I don't have any answers to any of these things. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing we want to like be really careful with, too, there's there's large passages in the Bible you can consider like didactic passages. Mm-hmm. They teach specifically, specifically on a subject. Mm-hmm. We have large portions of Scripture that talk about what justification it is and yeah. how it is obtained. It would be a mistake to take a single verse and be like, okay, this, out, this undoes right. these entire chapters that we have and what it means to be justified. Right. Yeah, yeah, you would think that entire passages that are dedicated to explaining justification that don't mention water or baptism. Yeah, there's something wrong. (laughs) Paul, I think you missed something here, buddy. Where's the water? Yeah, I mean, heaven and hell, that's all. (laughs) And then there's another one, um, kind of in the same vein of that last verse, which is Acts 22, 16. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise... And be baptized. This one doesn't even say repent. It just says, yep. be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Uh, to call upon in the Greek tense, it actually means either before or at the same time as the main verb, which is to be baptized. Um, and so that means it either happened, the person was either calling upon the name of the Lord as they were baptized, or it was done before they were baptized. Hmm. And so we can see that the faith is already built in there. And if you remember what I was trying to lay down the foundation, what salvation looked like in the early church, uh, salvation and baptism were so closely tied together because instead of saying the sinner prayer, people would go forward and get baptized. That was their way of, okay, God, I'm putting my faith in you. And so they went forward to get baptized mm-hmm. and declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so this is 
it's what we see here. They went forward. They had that faith. At the same time, or before, they were calling upon the name of the Lord, and they were baptized. Yeah. Well, that's good. I think you've talked about this before. It's in the, you know, whether someone's a proponent of the sinner's prayer or not, that um, a lot of us have a context of when you're calling people to faith, a lot of people come forward to say a prayer or to yeah. pray with someone or to yeah. talk with someone when that's not anything to do with saving, but like, but you kind of connect the two. Yes. Um, and so um, it, there's, it's that really close fruit of something that you would, and so the apostles, if someone refused to get baptized, obviously you're going to assume this person didn't repent. Yep, exactly. This person doesn't have any faith. They didn't even, they didn't, they wouldn't even come and be baptized. Yep. Um, and they'd have no reason for not for not doing that. Um, and, um, and I'll be careful. I gotta. I don't want to assume anything here, but like, wouldn't there even be within a cultural context that, um, um, in a world of rituals and religion and under and like in the context of that, that um, there wouldn't be any reason for people to conclude that the water's what's saving us. Yeah. Is there? I don't want to make sure I'm not making anything up. Would there be somewhat of a cultural context for that? I think the message that was already preached that they would have heard and known um, would have already laid that context yes. down for them uh, because of the clear message of justification by faith and belief in Christ as the sole means of salvation. And I think even we look at, say, our culture today, um, you know, if we're talking about our salvation experience or you talk to someone else on the street or some other brother and sister in Christ and you ask them about the time they got saved, they're probably going to tell you about the time that they said a prayer to trust Christ. Mm-hmm. If we were to ask one of these believers a long time ago, hey, could you share with me your salvation testimony? We'd probably really be taken back and thinking maybe they believe false doctrine because they would talk about the time they got baptized. And you, you know, ask them, are you saying you were saved by your baptism? Well, no. This is when I put my faith in Christ. Right. And so I think that's where we have to um, be careful, um, not necessarily to put our context in the way we kind of do things now. I'm not saying it's wrong. Right. Salvation is by faith. Um, to put it what we do now based on what they did back then. Right. So I'll say one last thing on regards to these passages is would it be fair to say that after your explanations of these, you really have two verses in Acts yep. that imply yeah. that baptism is required against major portions of scripture that would clearly teach that it's not necessary for salvation. Yeah, that's why we can't read verses in a vacuum. Yeah. The whole idea of a tota scriptura, that we read the scripture together. Yeah. It's impossible to read through Galatians, Roman, the entire book of John, which is interesting too. You read through the book of John and so many times, it actually it's every time you see justification taking place or the idea of... Um, being saved when Jesus is talking about forgiveness of sin justification, it's always by faith. You yeah. never see him bring a baptism. Yeah. Did Jesus miss something? That's right. <laughs> something to think about, yeah. No, that's good. And I, you know, for listeners and those who are watching, that, that isn't just in regards to baptism. That's for any doctrinal belief. Be very careful to, like, just take one verse and then start filtering all passages and, and scripture through that one verse or that one chapter. It's just, that's a really, like, not a safe way of, yeah. of looking at scripture because yep. really what that means is you could make Bible say whatever you want it to say because you're going to pick whatever random verse and, and ignore context and yep. ignore the context of all scripture. Well, let's change gears here and let me ask you about infant or child baptism. Not in regards to regeneration. We've talked about that yeah. plenty now, but um, what you might call a pre-salvation baptism. Um, I think you made a, a note of it earlier. Um, 
but why do some churches or denominations find this to be really important? Um, and is there a biblical case for this? Uh, there's not a biblical case for it. Uh, mm. There is a church history case mm. for it. And uh, something I would like to be really clear, though, too, is because if you're talking to someone who believes in infant baptism, they will say that, you know, you're in the minority. Mm. You look at church history, and the majority of the people that we find in their writings, they believed in infant baptism. Ah, that's true. Mm -hmm. It is true. What they fail to say is those views on infant baptism don't match their views. Mm. because those views have changed from person to person <laughs> and century to century. Right. So you can't build a case on church history about an argument for infant baptism because someone believed it when their entire reason for doing it is different than yours. <laughs> That's something you got to be very careful with. Uh, we initially see it coming up because um, there was an idea, and I, I hold to this, the idea of original sin. I think uh, Romans chapter 5, we know we're dead in Adam. And, you know, we're dead from birth. We were, you know, we're conceived in iniquity. We... I don't think there's really an argument for that. So this question started coming to people's mind. Well, what about our babies? Hmm. What if they die while they're, while they're infants? Right. And so, well, we could baptize them. And so there was this idea that by somehow baptizing our infants, that removed the guilt of original sin. Hmm. So we see that creeping in there. Uh, and then we start getting to, you know, what the Catholics are you know, practicing, as I was discussing earlier, basically like a magic treatment of baptism. Like, okay, now this is something that infuses grace into your life. Mm -hmm. Then they were questioning things about, okay, well, the Bible also talks about faith. So how, how do we make this work? And so then you got the Lutherans who come on and they change this a little bit. Okay, yeah, salvation, it's there by faith, but they still, uh, there's this uh, part of the Reformation, I think it's a Semper Reformanda, the idea we're always reforming. Um, most of the reformers didn't keep on reforming. <laughs> so they, they left the Catholic Church, barely. <laughs> so they were so close. And Lutherans especially, I always called them like Catholic light. And so they were saying, okay, well, we don't want to remove infant baptism, but people still need to be, people need to be saved by faith. So then there's this idea of some Lutherans who believed in actual, like, kind of like baptism regeneration, but they would say, okay, by the washing of the water and the word, if we do this ceremony, it'll actually impart saving faith to the child. But mm. then this became a problem, too, because Martin Luther actually used to hold to eternal security. Right. So what happens to all these baptized children who become apostates later? Right. Apparently they didn't stay secure. So now it was, this faith is given to you as a child, you're justified by it, but you have to continue to live that faith out. So then now we've got um, Calvin and Zwingli who come on board. It's like, okay, we're not going to go the direction of the, uh, of the Lutherans. So we're going we're gonna to separate for that. And, um, you know, they come out with this idea of um, election. And then you can start, that's where you get the idea of Calvinism and that kind of stuff. Right. And covenant communities. And so for them, they go back to the Old Testament. And uh, you're probably familiar with like, the idea of covenant theology. They believe in a very strong continuity of Scripture. And there is some continuity from the Old Testament. Absolutely. I think that's something we shouldn't ignore. Mm -hmm. But there is also a healthy amount of discontinuity. So they look at all of the covenants, and they're looking for this continuity from covenant to covenant. And they're like, okay, we've got these people who are the, you know, the elect of God, you know, chosen before the foundation of the world, and we don't know who these people are. And uh, so this happened in Israel, too. And so uh, God gave them the sign of circumcision, and they didn't know, you know, whether these people were truly one of the elect or not until their life showed it later on. And so this sealed them within this community, but non-believers would have been circumcised too. For example, uh, slaves, and you had the idea of like, um, like household circumcision. So mm -hmm. you could have uh, people from foreign nations who didn't believe in Yahweh at all right. um, getting circumcised. And so because of this continuity that they want, they'll say, okay, we need to be consistent with what we see from the Old Testament. And then they get to um, Colossians chapter 2. 
starting with verse number 10, it says, And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein you are also risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And they'll say, well, it sees circumcision and baptism. And they'll say that circumcision replaces, or baptism rather, replaces the sign of circumcision. And if we want to have that continuity between the, uh, the new covenant and the old covenants, that we need to have then household baptisms, just like they had household hmm. circumcisions. And so then they get into these verses, like we uh, talked about Acts chapter 2. Right. And they'll talk about, you know, you'll hear this phrase a lot, you know, you and your household. Uh, you, or you and your children. And so then there's this assumption that means, oh, because, because of what they believe about the continuity of Scripture and all the, uh, the Jews are circumcised regardless of whether they believed in Yahweh or not. And for people, this also, the New Covenant, has to be practiced the same way. Hmm. So that means whenever the Bible says households, that must mean then that baptism was for the person who made a profession of faith and their infant children. Hmm. It's interesting, though, because nowhere does it ever say that infant children are baptized. Right. It's, they do have like the, this huge, like, I want to call it like a theological framework that's built up, and it's all based on, I would say, inferences or things that they think are implicit, but they can't explicitly point to. So they'll go to something that, see, this, 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 probably, this here is probably referring to infant baptism. Okay, well, do you have anything that explicitly says that? No, let me go to this verse, which also just infers it, but doesn't explicitly say it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I can't say there's a there's definitely a hermeneutic for it. I don't think it's a good one. So right. I, I can't say you know obviously that there's a, a strong biblical argument for it. But I, I understand where they're coming from. And and to be kind though, especially with Presbyterians, they they do believe in justification by faith. Right. They do baptize their babies as a, as a seal, but they also believe that genuine saving faith. If again going to their view of election would mean that they would still have to have a, a profession of faith later on. So I would right. still consider them brothers and sisters in Christ. Absolutely. You get to some um, other denominations, though, and I have no problem saying this, honestly, some Lutherans, it, get, it gets kind of sketchy. Right. In regards to that, with like Presbyterians and with a strong position on salvation by faith alone yes. um, and, and, and justification, um, is would you say in regards to to people like you and I who would not teach to baptize your whole household, baptize unbelieving um, yeah. kids in your family. Um, even though like we wouldn't necessarily hold it against uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ that are doing, d- doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons why we probably wouldn't do that, besides the fact that we don't see a strong case for it in Scripture, would be that it can, could breed some confusion yeah. um, in, in what we're teaching and, and what we believe. Yep. Because because of the fact that it's not that clear, would that be true for for yeah. you as well? Like the confusion that could breed. No, absolutely. And I, unfortunately, I've I've heard it taught too, where um, people then have put their faith in their baptism mm. as opposed to putting their faith in Christ. Yeah. And I remember when I first became a believer, even in high school, talking to people who were part of you would consider a Protestant denomination, for example, and asking, "Oh, well, did you ever put your faith in you know in Christ?" And they'll say, "Well, I was baptized." Mm. You know, it kind of takes you back a little bit um, because I know there's other people within those denominations, for the Lutherans, for example, too. You go to maybe like a, any free Lutheran church, you'll probably hear a, a gospel message about salvation by faith while they still baptize infants. Mm-hmm. Then I've um, had friends who've gone to sometimes more um, I don't know, traditional Lutheran, um, for example, and then 
there can be a huge amount of confusion. And it's, okay. I even believe it hurts the purity of the church too. Hmm. Because then there's a belief that because someone was baptized as an infant, they're autom- automatically allowed into the community as a serving member of the body, mm-hmm. even though they've never had that experience of truly being born again. And that hurts the church because the church is a body given spiritual gifts. Yeah. And we're supposed to you know, work as a whole. And as Scripture states, I think it's in Ephesians, that when every part's doing the part, the work that they're supposed to do, then the church will edify itself and it'll build itself up in love. Yeah. And then you're going to have some um, problems with some of those joints if yeah. you've got unbelievers. Random thought with this, I'm assuming, and you can clarify this one, I just want to know, um, it's not that important. So if someone gets baptized who's not a believer, they're a child in the house, but then they do become a believer, do they get baptized again or they're good? They should get baptized again, yes. Right. Because I believe the scripture but would it, would, would, would a church that teaches household baptism, would they have them get re-baptized? No. Okay. No. That's what I was curious. I didn't think so. I was curious. But obviously, from our position, yes, they, yeah. they should. <laughs> As a fruit of their... Uh, yeah, fruit of their... Yes. Um, cool. Well, last thing. The mode of baptism. Um, does the Bible tell us what baptism is in practice? In other words, sprinkling, pouring, dousing, immersing. Um, and is this important? I think it's important, yes. Um, we don't have a, um, we talked about like didactic teaching passages in scripture about certain things. Mm-hmm. We don't actually have that for baptism. Mm-hmm. There is no um, chapter on this is how you do baptism. Right. We do have patterns and we have the word itself. Um, I mean, baptize, uh, some people, will, they don't want to get too much into the definition of it because it, <laughs> what it simply means, it means to immerse. Right. It, it, you'll see baptizo and bapto in, in scripture as far as in the Greek, it used in two different ways. One is to immerse and one is to dip. Mm-hmm. And we have extra biblical literature to see how those words are used, even at that time, right. not found in scripture. And, and one of them was, uh, you know, tempering swords, for example, to, to dip. And if you're tempering a sword, what that is, is after you heat up a sword and you forged it, you want to make sure the steel is properly hardened. And the only way you can do that is by submersing it into the water before you pull it out. And mm. we have extra biblical literature saying that. You can't harden a blade by sprinkling it or dipping water on it. You'll probably, you know, you'll, you'll damage it. Right. Um, and, we, of course, we've got uh, patterns of baptism as well, too, um, as far as, like, in Acts, it talks about like, the Philippian, or not Philippian, but the uh, Ethiopian eunuch, for example, being baptized. They stopped once they saw a body of water. And then you've got John. It always talks about John's baptism, how they'd be near a body of water. Mm-hmm. And so we can see that um, for someone who is uh, just going to be dipping or sprinkling, why would you need a large body of water? Why would you be going to right. a river? So that wouldn't make any sense. And then also what baptism represents as far as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, you go to Romans chapter 6, for example, and it, and it goes through all of that. And I have to ask myself what makes the most sense for Baptism, as far as the mode being, um, I, I don't. It would be hard for me to say that the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and our life being conformed to His life and His death and His resurrection could really be pictured in sprinkling or dipping. It makes a whole lot of sense, though, to bury someone and then to raise them up again. Right. No, that's good. And like you said, it's kind of what the word means. So you can't. Yeah, it's kind. Of, <laughs> you, can't get, you can't really get around around that. Line. No, no, that's a, that's a bit difficult. Yeah. I would put this under the same circle in regards to household baptism or if someone pours instead of immerses, is that mm-hmm. I think these are important issues. I think scripture's very clear in regards to baptism, um, but I wouldn't 
think someone's a heretic or yeah. uh, necessarily separate with anyone um, in regards to uh, their mode of baptism. Um, it'd be someone I would go out to coffee with and make jokes about uh, yeah. <laughs> about their mode of baptism, um, but I wouldn't find them to not be a genuine believer or yeah. to be some heretic if they held to that. But I'm still going to hold that. It's important because I want to be true to Scripture at Absolutely. the end of the day. So, Cool. Well, that's all I have uh, for today. If you guys have any more questions or you thought something wasn't very clear, please leave your questions in the comments. Uh, maybe we can return back to this topic a different day and maybe break down some of those or anything, any verses we didn't cover or any questions we didn't cover in regards to baptism. We'd love to talk about that. Or if there's a completely different topic you'd like to hear discussed uh, on the podcast, please leave that in the comments as well. We've got several more Live the Bible episodes coming out, so be sure to subscribe, like, turn on your notifications so you're ready for when those come out. Um, and if this was helpful, please share with your friends. Thanks for being on, Larry. Yeah, it's fun. Have a good day. Live the Bible, a Biblicist podcast.